0: We humans evolve and grow so much when we go through something that doesn't go our way. Because either you have you have a choice, I can either fix it, find a way to get better at it, learn from it, or I can opt out or and complain. And and I teach growth mindset. And okay, so what are you going to do about this? Does that mean you need to do you know more workouts? You need to go you know what what do you have control over? and we spend so much time as parents hijacking their power that they don't feel like they have any power and they need to be intrinsically driven and have the autonomy to know i've got this
1: hi i'm katie martin and this is the learner-centered collaborative podcast i'm an author mom educator and lifelong learner on a mission to create authentic, inclusive, and equitable learning experiences that puts learners at the center. At the Learner Centered Collaborative, we are guided by the persistent truth that a learner-centered approach is the foundation for a successful, thriving learning community. We are passionate about transforming visions for learning into actionable practices that positively impact learners and learning. During our time together, we'll explore challenges in education today set ambitious goals for what is possible, and make space to celebrate the bright spots along the way. I'll share vetted practices and strategies that I hope will inform, inspire, and ignite your learner-centered journey. Together, we can empower all learners to actively engage in the world as their best selves. Let's get started. Welcome to the Learner centered Collaborative Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Martin. And today I'm going to be interviewing Kirsten Jones, who I recently met in a parenting and educator author group, and I have devoured her new book. I'm so excited to have you here and talk about empowering youth athletes and how her work aligns with the broader goals of developing empowered young people to thrive in all works of life. So before we dive in, here's a bit more about Kirsten she played division one volleyball collegiately and is a member of the 2018 class of the college of william and mary's hall of fame she worked at nike for 14 years she's currently a motivational speaker writer and peak performance coach who works with both teen and pro athletes entrepreneurs and business leaders she's the co-host of raising athletes podcast with susie walton who, where they interview coaches, athletes, trainers, and industry experts about everything youth sports. Kirsten and her husband, Evan, are currently raising three teenage young adult athletes in Los Angeles. And her new book, Raising Empowered Athletes, a youth sports parenting guide for raising happy, brave, and resilient kids is amazing. And so I'm excited to interview and talk to her today, but also I want to just get some free consulting on how, how to deal with my own athletes. So welcome Kirsten. I'm so glad you're here.
0: Katie. It's so fun to be here. This is my jam.
1: I love this stuff. Let's, let's dive in. Awesome. So let's start with my favorite question. We want to know more about you. What are some of the key experiences that have shaped you as the coach and leader that you are today?
0: Yeah, like for us all, it goes back to our childhood, right? And I was lucky enough to have been born into parents who decided intentionally to move to Montana without knowing a soul and back in 1973. And so I was raised on 29 acres with cows and horses and, you know, bucking bales and picking rock and and doing manual labor was just part of life. And it was so formative in everything that I learned about grit and resilience and gratitude. Um, and then I was a multi-sport athlete. Like everybody of our generation, you played what was ever going on in the season, right? And my mom's joke was, um, you know, the the town that I originally grew up in was so small that you kind of had to be in the band. So you would probably be dribbling the basketball and then at halftime, you'd go play in the band. And then because you like, they needed every kid to do everything. And so jack-of-all-trade, master-of-none, yet it gave you this broad base of experiences um, and piano and ballet, and they wanted us to try everything. And so once I got to be old enough, I wanted nothing to do with piano or ballet and only wanted to deal with the ball, which was not my parents' forte at all. Um, But I, I just pursued basketball and volleyball in high school, got recruited more heavily actually to play basketball. But hadn't really played much volleyball because it wasn't even a sanctioned sport until my freshman year of high school which I'm not that old well okay, yeah, kind of but you're not um, that old trust me okay yeah right um but so anyway I ended up walking on at San Diego State I tried out for the junior national team and the San Diego State assistant coach was there so I gave up an opportunity a full ride to play at Montana and went down to San Diego to chase a new dream and um, and so grateful that I had parents that said go do it like yeah, you got to. It's your path. It's your journey, which you know has been a theme throughout how I I do what I do now. And then it didn't work out at San Diego State. Shocker. Never went there and never met the coach. Didn't know any of the players, so wasn't a great fit. Learned a ton about volleyball, but then pivoted and ended up at William and Mary and played for this amazing woman who was in my wedding, who I speak to every week, who I'm going back to speak at William and Mary's homecoming you know, in a couple of weeks, because we're family. And so the formative experiences that I had through sport and through phenomenal education, then it led me actually to, to Europe, Eastern Europe to be exact. And I moved to Budapest after graduating with my Japanese degree, which my parents were thrilled about. Um, <laughs> and two years wandering the Eastern European Danube, I um, realized, God, I gotta, I've got to do something with sports. And Nike had an Eastern European office in Vienna, Austria, which was a mere two-hour train ride away at the time. And so I found the name of a woman who worked there and literally mailed her the letter. And then she finally called and I said, she said, well, we're going to interview people in a couple of weeks. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be in Vienna tomorrow anyway. I'll just swing by. And she you know, jumped on the train, like packed my bags and showed up on the that. doorstep. So and it was such a blessing because I don't think I would have ever been able to walk through the front door in Beaverton because I didn't have any experience. And, you know, back then, nobody really cared that you played college sports. But coming in through that opportunity and then I worked for Nike in Europe for seven years, you know, in Vienna, Stockholm, Amsterdam, and then ultimately at world headquarters um, and along the way, married my, the guy, the cute guy that I picked up in the bar from um, from Eugene, Oregon of all places. And we both worked for Nike for almost 15 years. Um, so it was, it was a very, very fun journey. So cool. I love
1: the, well, first we're both from Montana, which is totally cool. I um, loved re- learning about that in your book. Um, but the idea that you weren't like, Starting at four years old, and you didn't have—you know, weren't dialed in as a volleyball player from like day one. Tried all these things. That's how I remember growing up and playing all these different sports. I played basketball because it was basketball season, and I danced and played soccer. But I wasn't particularly great in all of them. But it was just because you played sports and and hung out. That's not necessarily how you sports are these days. Like. I learned a lot reading your book about the history of these sports, even having gone through it. Like, Mm -hmm. can you give us a little history lesson on what's happened that's got us from that space of just playing and enjoying it to where we are today?
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, really, when you look at it from like, you go up 10,000 feet and look down on what's happened since, you know, late 60s, women, 24% of women worked outside of the home between the 70s and early 80s, all of a sudden that number doubled. So now you have double income families. Now you have two people making money, which good news, you have more income. But bad news, who's watching the kids? So the kids are coming home from school. You know, they don't have anything to do. You know, late 70s, Adam Walsh gets abducted. Um, 38 million people tune in to see you know, that the world is a very scary place. And because he's been abducted and killed, now the message goes out, you can't just let your kid go play in the street, which is what we did. We played until the lights went out and we never worried about that. In reality, it's less than 1% that, that really, it's it's really a misnomer, but that's what got out. Combined with that, again, 1981, No child left behind where all of a sudden Americans are not so smart and we're not, we're not educating our kids and they're not keeping up. So now you have parents stressing that their kids aren't going to be able to get a job because they're not going to be educated. And 1979 ESPN, this little sports network comes online and now I can see little Tiger Woods or I can see Nadia Comaneci or I can see Andre Agassi. And I, I don't think there was any one like big epiphany, but I think it was like the frog in the pot that over the course of these years where, okay, we got more resources. Okay. We need to figure out what to do with the kids. Okay. Dad, ha- you know, we get off work early. He can get involved. So dads start getting more involved in the, you know, whereas you, you know, in our generation parents would drop you at the corner and again, you ride your bike home or you'd bike there and back and they never went to a game. And now the parents are getting involved. So we go from, you know, you know kids directing their own play to being very parent led which led, you know, is leading to this, oh, well then, you know, the YMCA team isn't that good, but if I brought my own team, and then just think, and then we had Johnny, and then we started recruiting, and so all of a sudden, there's this groundswell of, we need to do more, and we need to be better, and we need to win, and the parents are involved, and we've got more money, and again, over time, and then the 10,000-hour rule of seeing, you know, oh, I too could create an André Agassi just by putting the racket in, you know, his father- Taped the ping pong paddle to his hand in the crib is how the story goes right and by six he's standing facing the green monster in their las vegas back backyard he says i remember not being able to see the court i had hit so many balls the entire court was filled with balls and i stood out there in the hundred degree heat hitting until i could not hit another ball and you know that that mindset became kind of like well I if I get put in this I'm gonna get this and again it's been a very slow yeah. um upgrade to where that's happened but now we're getting to where again you know my joke but not really coming out of the womb oh what school or where is he get a sign and you know it's it's gotten s- the professionalization of youth sports has creeped from you know, same injuries that would happen to only Tommy John syndrome would only happen to pro baseball players. Now you're seeing it in ten year olds. There's doctors that have whole professions with only dealing with Tommy John syndrome, right? Because we're doing too much too soon and too consistently. There's no variation.
1: So, I mean, that is hearing it and and reading it. It just feels like, what have we done? When we and, and then you hear parents of our age, right? Gen Xers and like, back in the day, we used to play until the streetlight came on and we had all this freedom and we turned out great. And yet we are still so micromanaging helicopter-ish in, you know, not only you sports, we see it in schools. You know, are you taking all the AP classes? So we, in the broader context, we are more aggressive in our kids playing sports and the extra training and the extra courses and the highest level competition while simultaneously ensuring that they're taking the highest level courses. They're getting tutoring. They're prepared to go to the best colleges. You know, like you said, the percentage is so small and we're all competing for this small percentage. Instead of really thinking about developing the skills, the mindsets, the behaviors that really matter beyond that one small goal, but in life more broadly.
0: Yeah. And it's happened, as you said, across everything. And I referenced it in the book too, which is the college cheating scandal is all about that, right? It's about how, It's the parenting ego that has gotten so out of whack because what I put on my bumper sticker, what school my kid is going to, what team we're on, what podium we're on is a reflection of me. Right. And that's not true. Whether your kid wins the trophy or is on the bottom, it it has nothing to do with how you parent or whether you're a good parent or not. But that I feel is like the big messed up message that, we have received as adults. And so we feel this FOMO, well, they're doing it, well, they're going to, you know, Sweden this summer, they must be better parents, because their kids playing travel at eight. And I'm not doing that yet. Right. right? And you feel, again, this missing out of and what if my kid doesn't do well on the APA? What I mean, I've been been in discussions with parents, mostly women, but parents were like, in the course of five minutes, you have the kid like, unemployed living under the bridge. And like, you know, and and you're like, are we, were we talking about rec soccer? You know, like it just goes. And if we don't do this and we don't make this team and they don't get into that school. And then, you know, you're still, you're so far ahead of yourself and the kids feel it. They They feel it.
1: And like you talk about, is it your dream or is it theirs? And I think that that's so much in life. Like, are we, are we giving them the space to figure out what they love? What they enjoy and what they really want to do, instead of being, I need to please my mom or I need to please my dad. That was something I really reflected on, you know, reading reading the book and thinking like, gosh, I hope. And that's my dream is that I'm letting them lead. But um, it's certainly worth thinking about in our approach, like how we're how we're creating the space for them to do the work rather than please us.
0: And when they're young, parents, if you got young kids, try everything. Sample everything, and again, you sign up for one season of, you know, soccer, and they cry halfway through the second, halfway through the season. Okay, we're just going to finish the season and we're done, and we can go try something else. And it's not like we're not doing anything else. We're going to pick something else, right. but we don't have to like stick it out for five or six years. I've got a story in there about a woman who I actually met a at checkout at a Target when I was buying a chair when a rainy day in in Buffalo and. She said, Oh, yeah, I remember I used to do that. And I said, What's that? She said, I was on the sidelines of soccer for 10 years. And she said, And finally, my son graduated from high school. And I said, Oh, son, do you miss it? He said, You know, Mom, I stopped wanting to play about four years ago, but I didn't want to upset you. So I just stuck with it. And like, that's devastating. Right? Like as a parent, I don't think anybody I mean, I hope Parents are like, I don't care. Those are my friends. And I know we do. That's the problem. We make friends. That becomes our social life. We don't go on vacation anymore. We don't eat dinner together anymore. We are there for every single, you know, tournament and event. And we get lost in it. So we have to A, check in regularly. Mm-hmm. B, when they're, when they're young, I say, they're the, really the three Fs with a fourth for the parents. Focus on friends, fun, and fundamentals. Yeah. and parents avoid the FOMO. If it's not, if it's important that you go camping together as a, as a, as a family this summer, and you're going to miss three weeks of whatever, going to Vegas, don't do it. It's, you only get 18 summers with them. I know. Right. But what, and then you hear the, but what if, and then he's 12 and he's not going to make this. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, genetics catches up with us all, with all of us, right? And you can't teach height. And yes, there's the Steph Curry's of the world and yes, there's the anomalies. And if your kid is that driven and that passionate, they will pursue through all of that. Yeah. And hopefully they'll have a few good childhood memories that didn't involve a ball. Right. Right.
1: Right. Well, I mean this, this, so we're talking about in sports and you also talk about how this shows up in our schools So I was dying when I was reading your story of your son, Parker, uh, with all the moms together, and you're talking about the projects. So tell us a little bit about what you've learned about helicopter parenting, not just on the sports field, but uh, being a mom of a school-aged child.
0: So we had just moved to Carlsbad. We'd left Nike and we moved down to Carlsbad. And so I'm new to the school. I don't know any moms. So I'm like, okay, I'll sign up for the whatever, back to school picnic or something so that I can get to know some people. So we show up at the Panera and there's 12 moms sitting there and they're all sitting down. And then like, all of a sudden you like hear this flutter and I was like, what's going on? They're like, did you do the project? Oh, I did the project. Oh yeah. I'm already done. Like I'm done. And I was like, Oh crap. We're supposed to do a project for this meeting. Like I didn't, you're like, Oh wow. I'm not prepared. And the mom's like, no, no, no. The kids have a book report and it's due on Friday. I mean, has your son finished? Have you finished it yet? And I'm like, I don't know anything about a book report, but I'll ask, right? And so I go home and I ask, you know, six year old Parker who's getting ready, running through the kitchen on the way to the, you know, go play football on the street. uh, Do you have a book report? And he's like, yeah, I think so. I'm like, have you read the book? Nah. Do you want help? I'm good. And I was like, all right. And so, sure enough, whatever, a week or three later, there's back to school night and she has all these mobiles, book mobiles hanging from the ceiling. And there's these ones that are like, perfectly spaced, you know, 12 fonts, you know, no typos, you know, like beautiful work. And here's Parker's and there's like globs of glue hanging off of it, you know, crayon and pen and, you know, I, who knows what it was about. And I was just standing there looking at it, smiling and teacher comes over 35 year vet and she just shakes her head. And she says, some people don't think I can tell who does, who do the work. She said, but I can't
1: (laughs) totally. You can tell. Yeah. I remember going to my kid's open house and looking at all the projects and I was like, Oh, I thought we were supposed to let them do the work. And you see like, yeah, the the misspellings and the kid handwriting and that, that to me is what I want to see as an educator, not necessarily the parents doing all the work or the kids being um, stressed about it and led by the parents.
0: Well, I'm not to shame anybody, and of course, it never starts off maliciously. You do right. it to help. You do it because you're a little ADD child or whatever. They just want to go play, so we need to get it done. So you want to help. But what happens is, as they continue to grow, they lack the experience of got- getting the C or the D or the F or whatever grade they deserved. So that as they get it, but you know, and then sure, flash, fast forward three, you know, ten years, he's in high school. Five, eight years, whatever he's in high school, and the moms are still doing the physics projects, and the kids are not learning. And then fast forward into college, and if you've read, I'm sure you have, uh, Julie Leftcut Hames' book, "How to Raise an Adult," and the parents are moving in across the street from Stanford, right, to like manage whether they get their Amazon package on time or not, and we're not setting them up to to adults. We're right. not allowing them to fall on their face and. Susie Walton, who I do the podcast with, I love, she says, there's no better time to allow them to fail than when they are with you. Right. Because then you could be there to say, oh gosh, that stunk. Like, okay, now what, what are you going to do? Right. And well, allow them to learn. And I, a hundred percent. And it's always a
1: constant reminder, right? Like how much am I letting you just like fail and fall flat on your face versus like, okay, how are we coaching you through it? But I say all the time to educators, like, are we over scaffolding? Because we're used to scaffolding so much in the classroom and we end up pulling kids through and essentially we don't want to fail in front of parents sometimes, that reverse Mm -hmm. is true. We wanna make sure your kid's work looks perfect when it comes home and we didn't make all those mistakes and they didn't get enough, but we also end up doing a lot of work for them because we just need to like race through our pacing guides and the same thing they need experience in their k-12 classrooms just like they do on the field to fail to screw up to get feedback so that they actually learn to do the work on their own instead we're cuddling so many kids and then they get to college and they don't know how to do life or school without people helping them along the way
0: yeah and then, by no means am I saying, oh, I did this perfectly. Of course not. Yeah. There are times when you left the trumpet at home. Okay, fine. You know, it's the big day and we've got it. You've got the like, and you run it over and then you promise yourself you're never going to do it again. But, you know, and there there were a couple of times when, you know, borrow some chips from your buddy. Sorry that you forgot your lunch. But like occasionally, at least even if you can just do it every second or third time. And and I say to the parents that, you know, the mom's like, yeah, but I'm not I'm doing anything. I can just run it over there. I'm like, don't answer the phone. They're not going to die, right? Like, and that's the problem with the the phones now is the umbilical cord that we have to them that we didn't have, you know, when we got on the plane or drove in the car to go to college, we left. And now like people are, I've got friends who are getting the, oh shoot, she overslept her class. Like, why do you know that? Like, that's not, you you know, like that's not for you to worry about anymore or it shouldn't be. Right. Right
1: it's hard right it is it is hard and that's why this book is really important because it's those reminders and the other thing that i really loved is the idea of being a potter versus or being a potter versus a planter um and how important i think that's just such a really beautiful way of seeing our role so what Mm. are some examples of how we can be a potter and not a planter
0: So when we want to control every aspect of their life and you're not happy because that coach is being mean to you or this girl's being mean to me or I don't like this teacher, we are, again, over involved and we're fixing everything versus allowing them to go through some of these experience. And yes, we're there to help shape the clay. But when you, you are directing how the clay goes with every single step it doesn't allow for creativity. And it doesn't allow for, you know, make a few ashtrays, like allow the, you know, the thing to go wrong a few times. And it's hard. And I get it. And, it is, and there's no, nothing about this whole parenting gig that's easy. Um, and the, And the bigger they get, the harder the problems and the more complicated it gets. But when we allow them to whatever the issue is. I my, my two boys were really into basketball early and they were always the best player one of the top players on the team. It was very easy for me to be on the sidelines. Oh, oh, too bad the team lost. But you know, my son played. You know, my daughter didn't because she didn't play volleyball until she was 14, which in LA is she might as well be a grandma. So she wasn't getting playing time. So she's sitting on the bench. And here I was a former player like oh my gosh, it was so hard to be on the bench. It was so hard for me to watch her struggle. And you just want to fix it for them. You know, one time I literally went out and walked, you know, the perimeter of the parking lot during the whole match because she was the only player. In fact, she reminded me the other night we were talking about it. We were actually at a tournament in Kansas City. This is like four years ago. And half the team booked flights too early. So everybody on the team got to leave Uh, or had to leave except for like seven players, uh, eight players. Uh, And the coach subbed in one of the girls who was like half the size of my daughter to play front row and didn't even sub her in. She's like, okay, here I thought was my big opportunity. Half the team is gone. I'm going to get a chance. And the coach was like, Nope, not on you. I'm going to bring in the little five foot girl to to play. Right? Like those moments as a parent where you're like, Oh, this just guts you to see them not. And the only thing I can say to myself and the coaching to parents is as much as it doesn't feel like a lesson that's going to serve, it is. And we humans evolve and grow so much when we go through something that doesn't go our way because either you have, you have a choice, I can either fix it, find a way to get better at it, learn from it, or I can opt out or, and complain and And I teach growth mindset and okay, so what are you going to do about this? Does that mean you need to do, you know, more workouts? You need to go, you know, what, what do you have control over? And we spend so much time as parents hijacking their power that they don't feel like they have any power and they need to be intrinsically driven and have the autonomy to know I have got this.
1: Yeah. I think that is, that is the, the really important point. When we do so much for young people, we feel like it makes us feel better. We've gotten them across, but I love that you said that we, we hijack their power. And if we really want to build empowered young people who can navigate their life, we have to let them struggle, figure things out and develop those skills. And you talk about growth mindset which again, and it's, you know, throughout education, growth mindset, there's posters everywhere, you can do it. And yet our practices rarely allow young people to even fail to figure it out. You know, you gotta like, you got you missed a test and you failed, or you gotta do this test in two minutes. And, you know, we don't give them those chances to figure it out and to, um, to learn how to navigate those struggles. And so, so important.
0: And so parents, usually the question that comes out of that is like, so how do I do that? What does that mm-hmm. mean? And that's the third section of the book where I talk about our own mindset. And, and it's, you can either be the thermostat or the thermometer. So either you're responding to everything. It's 105. It's 55. It's 102. It's you're responding to everything that happens to you or you set the temperature At 72, and it goes up to 74, and it goes down to 68. And I'm not saying life just gets to be like this. Of course, it doesn't. Adversity happens, things change. But when you are regulating your own space, I set my intention in the morning of how I'm going to show up. I'm meditating, I'm journaling, I'm exercising, I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well. My kids are getting 10 hours of sleep. Then, not if But when the forgotten lunch or when the coach doesn't play or when, you know, whatever happens, it's not a, "Ah," you know, I'm going to take care of this, but rather a, huh, wow, that's cut off in traffic again, huh? You know, you actually can watch. And that's what I've had fun. The more I've been meditating now for maybe six or seven years and (laughs) just two weeks ago, I'm moving my oldest. He just graduated undergrad and he's starting grad school about an hour from here. So we had spent the night with us and we're moving him in and he, he got all the way, we literally are pulling up to the building and he's like, so you got my keys, right? <laughs> and I was like, me? <laughs> and what I loved most about that whole moment was I noticed how I felt. You know, I was able to say, no, did you leave them? And, oh, and then, oh, well, what do you want to do? Cause we're now an hour from home and you've got to get to class. But, but it's, it's even more importantly than how you choose to respond. It's how you feel right. about how you choose to respond, right? So that we went
1: on a trip to Ireland with my parents and the kids. And we drove from San Diego to LA LAX, which is my least favorite airport in the world. When we finally get there, we have the bags, we're ready to get on the plane. And I look at my daughter and she's wearing uh, like two sizes, two small slides from her soccer bag. And I said, please tell me you brought your shoes. And she said, nope. Like we're going to Ireland in the middle of winter. It is 34 degrees. And I was like, said some choice things that did not respond well. And she just looked at me and I was like, can I do that again? I want to try that again. And I realized, like, yeah. that's not going to help. Okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get on the plane to Ireland. I have two pairs of shoes. You can wear one of mine. I'll wear the other. And she was like, but they're not going to look good. I was like, well, you forgot your shoes, so you're going to wear mine. Um, but yeah, that moment of like, oh, I didn't like how I responded. Okay, mm-hmm. let's try that again. And it made me think like, I don't want to start the vacation like this. I don't want to, I don't want to be in that space, but
0: but yeah. also like kudos to you because you didn't rescue. Oh, don't worry. We'll just go buy a new pair. Right. Because then you let them off the hook and then they're like, Oh, well, and no lesson was learned. But the fact that you were like, okay, there's going to be some discomfort here because you're wearing mom's uncool shoes. Right? But it, you might think about that the next time you're packing. Yeah. Hopefully. yeah it got, it's, <laughs> it's, got, it's gotten a little, it's
1: gotten a little better.
0: <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, there's, there's certainly, certainly those moments. So speaking of my children, I told you I want to use this as like my own coaching <laughs> um, too. You so there's this idea of like pressure versus support, and so we talked about like I played all these sports and I was not great, but I I played them all. And my kids both early on decided they wanted to play soccer. So whenever and they that's that's really what they wanted to do. Um, And I started wondering, like, am I, are they missing out? Should I be like making them try all these other things? And so Abby started playing lacrosse, but my son said, no, I just want to be on a team where everyone's playing soccer and they want to play soccer year round. So my question is, um, I had never been the parent who was like calling all the other coaches and can we come try out with you? And. There was like a call for tryouts, and we'd go to the tryout, and he had never met the coaches. And when I read your final chapter about like, you know, moving on to D1, which is not necessarily the goal, but like those are things parents do to navigate. And I'm wondering, like, where do I you toe the line just letting them figure it out versus actually doing some work to create certain pathways and help make the path a little bit easier? What's the what's the right way to navigate that?
0: great question Uh, so the of course as with anything in parenting there is no you know magic wand and but but given what if your son is happy what i love is when if he's happy like hey we're showing up to a new club because that's who invited us and that's where we're going to play how old is he now 13 13 right so you're just starting to get to that place where it's going to start to matter which club you're in or which high school you're going to and what teams you're on. If there's that dream of, yeah. of playing beyond, but be, be below 13. It's again, that's wonderful that my oldest one was that way. He didn't want to play any other sports. He now at 23 admits that was a stupid, I tried to get him to play volleyball, not because I wanted to be a volleyball player, but yes, you'll be a better athlete. If you added two inches to your, to your jump, don't you think you'd like that in basketball, but that frontal lobe too wide open Can't yeah. can't figure that out. But allowing them to drive the process and what you can do is, again, be the facilitator of, hey, we're getting to that next level. You know, where are your friends? Probably that's where he's going to want to know. Or what are you hearing from different clubs? Let's treat this like a research project. Like where 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 would you think you would have the, the, the best fit? And then it starts coming down to which team are you on the A's or the B's? Are you on the ones or the twos? And that's a a whole discussion and hour long conversation in and of itself. But I like to say, go where you're wanted and which whatever team that is too. And I've seen a lot of kids be on a twos team and ultimately, or even a threes team. And ultimately it's, it's a tortoise and the hare. And these parents that have this idea that i got to be on the ones, we're going to move clubs if we're not on the ones. It's about the coach, how engaged the coach is. If you're on a roster of 18 kids and nine play, it doesn't matter what the team is called, (laughs) you know? And it's a waste of money because you're not going to get any better standing on the sidelines. But if you're on a roster of 11 and everybody plays and you get tons of experience on and off the court and or the field and in practice – He's got to develop. I love and that. And that's I before love- we even sorry, before we even get to puberty, which is they all have puberty at different ages. So people are making these prognostications about their 12, 11 and 12-year-old. And then three years later, you know, I saw that happen, but with both of my boys, my boys were small going into high school, and then they grew a foot, right? But those ones that were big and giant in middle school, that's this opening story in the book, he dominated everything. And then he got injured because yeah. he'd done too much too soon. And now, now you have a, you know, a broken athlete. And I'm seeing that so much of these kids that are playing in college injured as if they've played pro sports for 10 years because they have been playing pro since they were five, you
1: know? Yeah, that is that. Um, and so I love, love, love. You just to, that You called out like treat it like a research project. That's how I would treat something in school. And it's like, no kidding, Katie. That makes so much sense. Like what are the options and letting him drive it? I'm happy to support, but I don't want to be like, I called 10, 10 coaches. I set up these things that just doesn't feel right, but Hey, let me, let me help you with what the options are. Here's, here's the different ways this could go. How do you want me to help out? That makes a ton of sense. Thank you.
0: You really, yeah, know of course, and there are some parents that will be like, "Well, he wouldn't do the research, so I just have to do it for him. Well, then again, you have to come back to well, how much does he really want it? right? And if he doesn't really want it that much, then we're going with the the, cl- the place the club that's closest to home and the one that you get the carpool. I mean, that ended up being my role for a long time because no, I'm not driving. we're living in Buffalo. We had people commuting to Albany five hours away to play on a basketball team. Really? The basketball is that much better five hours away. But you know, there was this thinking that the FOMO of if my kid at 13 or 14 isn't playing on that team, he's not going to, you know, it's, it's nuts.
1: Great. Well, same. So Abby, my daughter, she's now a freshman and she has moved into becoming the goalie in the last couple of years um and it which has been fun to see but we always played at the club close to home. We had great club, they were winning, they were having fun. And she decided last year after like taking 6 months off of not playing for various reasons cuz most of the kids were in high school and they had to take a break. But she said I want to switch clubs. we were like, "What?" And she came and said she want to switch and she's been playing and now she's all of a sudden like I want more training. I want to go this. I want to go the extra practice. Can you take me? I'm like, wow. Like she's kind of just been like, it's really fun to see her in that space, but we've kind of just like let her take ownership of it. And I, I had no expectation that that was going to be the case, but it's really fun to see.
0: Well, you know, it's psychology 101, really, when you look at it, and again, we're in that parenting, we're like drinking through the fire hose, and I got to fix this. But if you think about it from just a practical psychology standpoint, when somebody and you think about it, even back to the way you're a parent, my mom was in the bedroom with the vacuum at 8am every Saturday morning, right? Like, get up, it's time to clean. And you'd be like, ah, I'm forcing you to do it. And you're just like, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. And you're just like, out of principle, I don't want to do this, right. But when somebody says, you know, hey, gosh, what are you interested in? What would you like? How would you like to drive it? And you back off and say, gosh, I, you know, it's up to you. It's your journey. Oh, oh, you mean I need to take care of it? And my daughter, who's now a senior in high school, she wants, you know, this trainer asked her to come work out. And he calls me the other day. He's like, okay, so I'm going to put you and the other two moms on a, t- a group chat so we can figure out times. I'm like, do not put me on that chat. I am not on that chat. Put my daughter on that chat because that has nothing to do with me it's her schedule. She'll manage it. Yeah. You know, I am. I not only not needed, but it's, it's empowering them, right. It's yeah. allowing them to drive their destiny. And if she doesn't want it, then fine. We're, right. we're out. But, and that
1: means you won't have to navigate her schedule when she's a freshman in college. She can figure it out.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And he was like, Oh, wow. He goes, I like that because that doesn't happen very often and then she, Kylie comes to me. She's like, yeah, I'm on a group chat with three moms. It's <laughs> like, good. good. Welcome to adulting. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know And we get so used to what's common, right? What everyone else does and we think we have to do it. And sometimes when I am not, you know, choosing to step back or whatever it is, and I, I feel like, oh my gosh, am I not setting them up for success? Am I, am I not doing enough? And I have to constantly say, no, they're taking ownership and I'm proud of the kids they are, but it is hard when you're with
0: everybody else. And you're going to have setbacks and, you know, again, it's not going to go perfectly and they're not going to make that team. And had I cl- moved, you know, you can sit there and Monday morning quarterback all you want. And there's plenty of people that do well, had we stayed with that club, we would have been happier because we would have been with that, you know, and, and I love the correlation. And I always correlate it to education because I've I've never been the mom that we don't like the math teacher. We need to get out of that class. And I remember we had just moved to LA and I was new to this, this middle school and I met this new mom and I didn't really know her. And she was like, well, oh, that math teacher's awful. My older son, he was so far behind be t- before, by the time he got to high school, you've got to get out of his class. And I'm thinking, I've never in my life done this with three kids and been doing this for whatever, 12 years at the time. And I went in and I made an appointment and, you know, 25 steps later, like, I'm so sorry. And the woman's like, no, 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 I get it. You're not the only one to complain. And so I move him to the other classroom. And then sure enough, fast forward at the end of the year, <laughs> Parker says to me, you know, I really wish I would have had that other teacher because he's really hard and he really pushes you, but I think I would have learned a lot more. And I was like, why, you know, like your instinct is good to not like... And if it's a hard teacher and you have to, again, that's life, right? That's going to happen with a professor. That's going to happen with your boss. That's going to happen in your relationships. We can't expect every single thing to go swimmingly. Right. You know, it's well, and even like you said, let them lead.
1: So if Parker would have come and said, mom, I'm struggling, I need help. You know, how do we navigate this situation? Very different than I'm going to move classes for you. But we're presented yeah. with those all the time. And I think it's just a good reminder to approach it like a research project, think about what think about what it is, think about the options. And being that coach, that guide is so much more important than being the one to take the lead.
0: The only caveat I'll give, and we could spend another whole hour talking about coaching, but the only caveat I'll give, and this is this is one that's really tricky, is when there is um authoritarian coaching. And, and unfortunately in youth sports, there's a lot of these who I, you know, I'm generalizing, but were very good individual contributors played the sport at a very high level, get promoted to the level of coach, but have no idea about leadership, about teamwork, about commitment, about in a positive way with youth. And what you get are these kids that, you know, play until they're, they're the ones that aren't the star, they the coaches playing favorites, the coaches belittling and demeaning and demoralizing the you know the ones that aren't. And when you're in that situation, that is one of the times that yes, as the parents, and again, you validate it, it's not just your kid, you know, not but you can you know that your your child isn't developing in a healthy way, yeah. A hundred percent you move. Like that's that's a non-starter. And unfortunately it happens more than I'd like to say, because again, I think there's a lot of organizations that to me, I look at it kind of like retail. It's like the turnover is so high and the club is growing and we need coaches at every level. And basically it's whoever will raise their hand or even in these paid jobs, it's who, again, They I know here in LA, the coaches are working like three different jobs to pay the rent, right? So, and again, it doesn't make you not qualified, but Some of them are really good at developing kids and and like teachers, like, you know, all humans, we all have flaws, but being aware that that's where the line is for me as to whether you pivot or not, if it's, you know,
1: if they're not developing in a healthy way. yeah,
0: Yeah. If it's demoralizing or taking, I mean, again, my, my middle son Parker was playing soccer and basketball and got this club coach the first time he went into the club from rec, he played AYSO all the way through 13. And then he went in the club and the coach literally was yelling swear words at the kids on the field and everything. And I just watched his whole soul crumble.
1: That's heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, and and literally after that season, he's never touched a soccer ball again. And I'm grateful that he liked liked basketball as well. But for parents who you do have a kid, who that's his sport and runs into a buzzsaw like that, like that would just be heartbreaking for, as a parent to go, well, but soccer ended at 13 because of that person.
1: Well, I think that that's important, right? We're talking as like, as parents and in sports, but as coaches, also as educators and that role, how important it is to build young people up. Right. We talk about like having them, Do the work is important get letting them struggle and letting them fail, but the flip side of that is also creating a space where they feel safe to fail they're not demoralized. And you're you're coaching them you're guiding them along the way, and I think those are when we see at the best coaches, the best educators and as parents so grateful for those people who have been in my kids lives and been able to lift them up and teach them amazing skills.
0: And by the way, the caveat is it isn't always just because they were on the podium that they're the best coaches. A lot of the times the team wasn't that great, but what the kid learned throughout the season because they believed in each of the children. And I have the John Wooden philosophy, right? Even if you're the Z kid on the team, if you move them up to the X or the T, and you, I mean, it's easy to take the C and move them to an A. Like, they're naturally talented. They've got the hard work. It's that's going to happen on its own. And these coaches that rest there, you know, Oh, I'm so great. We won everything. And I made my three star players, you know, look really good. Right. No coaching is about bringing high tides, raise all boats.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I, you said growth, that's something that we don't value uh, enough, right? Like, have you grown from where you were to that next step? And those coaches, those educators who can really grow people from wherever they are, um, are invaluable.
0: Progress over perfection. And we live in this perfectionist society. It's got to be perfect. You've got to get the straight A's. You've got to do the APs. You've got to get into the best school. No, you've got to do the best you can from where you are with what you've got.
1: Well, and we see even when we, the the best schools, right? Like you said, it's the same with Division One athletes, same with kids who have the highest GPAs. There's only a select number of spots, and that's not even the best place for everybody, right? It's where is the best place for you, where you can thrive and grow. And so often, whether it's on the sports field or in in the classroom, you work so hard, you burn out, and
0: then mm-hmm. they get
1: there and they're like, I don't know how to navigate this, or it's not fun. So. I'm wondering, as we kind of close up, when you think about your role as a peak performance coach, you know, you're building young people and athletes, what do you see as the skills that are the most important to make sure that we have empowered young people who can navigate not just sports, but life?
0: Resilience, I think is the biggest and fall down seven, stand up eight. And again, that mindset and going back to education, but you know, um, to to the mindset book and her talking about giving the kid the puzzle and them doing really well on it and giving them the more complicated puzzle and then being curious about how to get better at it and not being so, well, you're so smart. Oh, you did it perfectly versus, wow, how did that feel to work on that and get that, oh, that's great that you learned how to do that, right? And when The the most successful athletes that I know and leaders and business people are the ones that aren't afraid to fail. They aren't afraid of it not going well. They're leaning into the discomfort of it and going, oh, huh, it didn't go the way I thought it would, you know, and I'm doing that every day. I mean, that's one of the fun pieces of my journey as a 53 year old is getting to do that. And I hope modeling it for my kids, like, huh, 50, p- 50 publishers later I still don't have a book deal right mm-hmm. like that's the dinner table conversation and then finally you get one right woohoo and everybody celebrates and then you know you have these peaks and valleys like we were talking about before we started but if we are all modeling that they'll listen to one tenth of what we have to say but they're watching everything we do Right, and they're that's taking right. notes, and then every once in a while, this piece of information will fly back in your face that you said a long time ago. But you're like, "Oh, you were paying attention. We're listening." Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, but yeah, to your question, I think really it's around. grit. I mean, what I and that's why I, I was asking people what I should name the book, and people are like, "Oh, it just should be raising athletes like your podcast." And I go, "Actually, empowered is the the most important word right. because when my oldest went to Boston." during COVID, gets COVID and then gets a concussion and calls me, you know, collides with the biggest guy on the team and calls me and says, mom, I got this. That's what I want to know as a mom. I could care less if you ever play basketball again. You have one brain and we're done. If we're done, we're done. But I want you to know you are enough. Right. Just as you are. That you don't need to change anything for anybody else. That you need to just do you. And, and you can do it without me that I, that I, if, if I'm successful, it would be only because my kids all feel like they are enough as they are. Oh,
1: hundred percent. Love that so much. So with that, let's go to the rapid fire. A few questions. So what is one thing we should stop doing? Get off our phones.
0: (laughs) Right. All of us, me included. Right. We're spending way too little time interacting face-to-face. We're not connecting. We're not talking to one another. Community is the biggest thing we're lacking. I was just actually invited very amazingly to this U.S. Women's Olympics. The Olympics, obviously, is coming here to L.A. in 28. And they're basically trying to build a community to say, here are these women that are, you know, Alex Kleinman and and um, April Ross. One just had a baby. One's getting ready to have a baby. They're trying to get ready to... Um, get ready for the next Olympic, but they can't afford anything. They need a community of women that are supporting them, that are supporting all athletes, all female athletes. But like, I think it's important that we put down our phones and, and talk to each other. Definitely.
1: What's one thing we should start doing?
0: We should let go. We should, well, let's start. Sorry. um, We should start being consistent in, in self-care. Um, it's something that we do a good job at the beginning of the year. We set the New Year's resolution, right? Yeah. So good. I'm so proud of myself. It's January 23rd and I'm still going, right? And by February 15th, it's all done. But self-care is not a perfect thing. It's an imperfect thing that we, do a, we should do every day. So finding a way, if you're not doing it, to have a cup of coffee in a quiet place or go read a book or book yourself into a spa or close the door to the bathroom moms, you know, don't let the dog follow you in too. right, like, give yourself time, because it's only in that moment of peace and calm, that the cortisol can drop and that we can figure out what it is we want and what we're meant to do and be.
1: Love that. What is something that you are focusing on learning right now?
0: I feel super passionate. It's going to sound like a total plug, but it's true that I really feel so passionate about this book, if you can't tell. And I I have a very small but mighty group of followers, and I'm really focused on right now is opening the aperture of getting this word out to more parents, because I do believe we're raising this next generation of very capable, very kind, very resilient kids. But we've got to take back our power as parents and, and help them navigate this. Love it.
1: Do you have a favorite quote
0: or saying that guides you? Um, the one that comes to mind right away is the one that's in the front of the book, which is the- Teddy Roosevelt. And um, I was bullied in high school because I, you know, was a freshman on varsity and had the, had the mean girls for a while. And so, one of the things I struggle with is. I'm afraid sometimes to put myself out there because of what if somebody doesn't like it? What if somebody says you're wrong? What if somebody says you're stupid? And as an entrepreneur, it's been a, a big journey trying to get to where like, no, every day I'm going to talk about myself. But when I, if you are not, if you were on the field of battle and you are at the out there fighting and you have some constructive criticism, I'm all ears. If you want to be a hater, flick away and, I like to think now that I'm, I'm getting better at that. I want to be better at that because I, I really truly believe do believe that we all have a gift. And if we dim our own light because of one or two people that are going to probably not like me anyway, what a waste, right? Because what, waste. what if I could empower one or five or whatever, 500?
1: And we would want our kids to do that. So we have to model that too, right? 100%. All right, two
0: more. What are you grateful for right now? Um, the moment I have a very, very, very strong bond with my husband. Uh, we just did an anniversary up in Santa Barbara for two nights, and it was the first time we've ever gone away, you know, with because I randomly all three kids were out of the house. And and it's so important to have, I believe, to have that connection and anchor because that sets the tone. If you're lucky enough to have a partner that will weather every storm with you and we've gone through some firings and having to move and, you know, and some, again, rough patches with kids and all of that. And I'm very, very grateful for him. He's my best friend. He's my hero. He's, you know, he's my partner. And, and yeah. And I met him in an Irish pub 29 years ago. Who would have thunk that would have worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Never know. So I
1: usually ask, what's the hope for the future of education? But I'll broaden it. What's your hope for the future of education and youth sports?
0: Right now, over 70% of of athletes are dropping out of sports altogether by age 13. We have lack of access to it. Everything is pay to play. We've gone away from rec. People are saying, I want to play rec. I can't even find it. Right? So that's one of the pieces of the Olympic movement is them actually Funding or trying to bring in funding to help rec sports. We need to open that field of play for everybody and allow more people to participate. Not because we need a medal, not because we're going to the Olympics, but because we're we're trying to raise kids who have less anxiety, are off their phone, are connecting, are giving back, are gr- grateful for every opportunity they get, and when they. Sport, I mean, my favorite ad at Nike ever was if, 1995, If You Let Me Play, and the empowerment that it does for women, less likely to get breast cancer, less more likely to leave a man who beats me, more, you know, 95% of C-suite women were athletes. It's it, There's something about doing sport and moving your body that's so far beyond, not the level, but about how I feel about who I am and my value. I love it.
1: This has been amazing and definitely pick up Raising Empowered Athletes. It's an awesome book. Thank you, Kirsten. Many more opportunities and episodes to come of conversation.
0: Thank you, Katie. It's great to be here.
1: Hey everyone, it's Katie. I am reflecting on the podcast with Kirsten Jones. I really enjoyed this one as a soccer mom. uh, It's different than interviewing educators who are in the space as leaders and really focusing on how we educate young people in school. Kirsten, as a peak performance coach, works with young people as individuals and teams and uh, really helped me see the connection, I think, by our focus on uh, youth sports and education. Uh, ultimately, I think all of us as adults want kids to be successful and we're doing our best to create opportunities and, and push them to be their best. But it really stood out to me too in this quest how sometimes the pressure that we put on um, our kids to be elite and ourselves as educators or parents or coaches to raise these elite athletes. And by definition, only a few people, young people will be elite athletes or elite academics. Um, and it just feels a bit absurd, for lack of a better word, uh, to put all this pressure. And so I'm just really thinking about um, this reminder as parents and educators, um, how important it is to refocus our energy on this elite or highest level or crazy GPA or top team Um and really broadening the aperture again, as I say a lot, to redefining what success means in relationship to your child, that young person, um, what their strengths are, what their goals are. Um, and for some, that is, that is sports, and that's cool. And for some, it's music or dance or um, science or math, all of these things. Um, but when we really pressure young people, again, in ourselves to be good at everything. Uh, I wonder at what cost, uh, and Kirsten talked about these young athletes who sometimes are quitting and the number of kids who are pushed so hard, um, when they're young, who quit sports at 13. And for me, that feels like when they need it the most, when they're world is changing. their young adolescents, their bodies and brains are developing in new ways and they need these teams to um, work with young people, persevere, develop the re- resilience that she talked about that's so important. And if kids are quitting sports at this age, I think that uh, we have to reevaluate what we're doing. Um, so those are some of my thoughts that I'm just reflecting on and. Um, Again, we also talked about the hover parent. Uh, I connected it to the over scaffolding. Sometimes we see that we don't want our kids to fail. So we jump in and save them and and push them instead of uh, being there by their side as they fail, as they struggle to um, coach them along the way and help them figure out they can do this on their own. So those are some thoughts. Uh, I look forward to yours, especially if you're an educator and listening to this, or if you're new to the podcast because you came in through Kirsten's network and you're excited about empowering young people, not only in sports, but in school. Uh, I'm excited to hear your connections and look forward to your thoughts. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy it.
0: Thanks for listening to the learner centered Collaborative Podcast. We wanna hear from you, so be sure to share your key takeaways using the hashtag LCC Podcast on social media. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review to help others find the show. To learn more about Learner centered Collaborative, head over to learnercentered.org. This episode was hosted by Dr. Katie Martin, produced and edited by Paul Haluszczyk, and web support was provided by Andy McCranny. Thanks again for listening and catch you on the next episode.